Awesome date, April 4th, 2011. Awesome topic, oh shit, it's oh she. And Rumiko Takahashi, this is the Awesome Cast. folks and welcome once back once more once again to the awesome cast the podcast that's made of awesome things and also awesome stuff i'm basil i'm kevin and for this wonderful episode that is us we're running a two-man show this time craziness well we'll just have to i'll have to try to be a little more lively and vivacious damn right you do Damn right. Now, we, back in the earlier days of Awesome, in the pre-news era of the Awesome cast, we had a World of Awesome, which came with its own little cool little news jingle. But as it turns out, back in that dough, those heady, crazy days we thought we could put out a podcast every week, the of <laughs> current with news was almost possible and remotely relevant but now this whole bi-weekly, 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 bi-weekly format, keeping up with news doesn't quite work, but we still have that jingle. So now we're using it for something else, for what I call the awesome update. So, what is the awesome update? You may ask. What is the awesome update, Basil? Well, Kevin, I'll tell you. The awesome update is when we update you on shit we be doing out in the world of awesome. That's okay. right. Um, speaking of which, specifically, is MTAC. Middle Tennessee Anime Convention. Because we doing shit there. We'll probably interview some people as we are wont to do. We'll interview cog goers. I'm sure we'll put out a con report. But we're also running panels, which Yay. I am wont to do. And so we do have panels here, and I've just pulled up the tentative schedule for MTAC, and let me see what we've got. Be sure to check all times when you actually get there, because odds are they'll be totally different. It's true. We're going to start off with the uh, English Jamboree, which is ran by myself, as well as Drew from Akihabara Renditions. It is about English, and jamborees, mostly about English. It's just too much high power, man. And in fact, Drew is also continuing with Life on the Mecca D-List. It's the Mecca shows you may not want to see, but you really actually do need to see. Oh, yes. Following up at, actually, right after that, is T, Green and More, done by the one and only Douglas... 
slash Imitsu slash Nobara. Wait. Mysterious being of the night. There's more than one kind of tea? Why, yes. And at this panel, you'll be able to find out. Actually, that was pretty interesting last year. I learned a lot about tea, and I didn't hardly know anything beforehand. After that, it's Minecraft. Who cares about Minecraft? Don't know what that's about. It's an Amicon. Why the fuck is there a Minecraft? Anyways, I'm pretty sure that, however, after the Minecraft, who knows, or also in the same room, it's cosplay props for cheap. But and who, I don't know who's doing that, but I'm pretty sure this lead hacks computer security topics in anime. I'm pretty sure that's another Drew and Mark panel. Pretty sure. Could be wrong, though. Certainly sounds interesting. And after that, after that, at 9 p.m., as anime's creepy uncle, going a glance at going a guy. Wait, if it's after nine, can we swear? We might be able to swear, Kevin. I don't know because it just won't be a going a guy panel if I can't swear at least a little. I'm gonna have to say bat shit at least three or four times. I second. might just have to flash people. I don't know. It yeah. might. I might have to honey flash. I might have to get a jar of honey and a flash. So, come it's, for that, everyone. <laughs> we'll be talking about the wonderful, wonderful. Wonderful creator of things like Mazur Z, Cutie Honey, Keiko Kamen, Devil Man. And a lot more. I could ramble off, but then I just start sounding nerdy. <laughs> er, the er. usual. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be talking about that. And then, well, there's other stuff. Ooh, they're doing a Takarazuka panel. That's cool. It's not the same. Oh, yeah, okay. And it's not while I'm doing something else. Yay. <laughs> And that's Friday. Coming up on Saturday is... Do I don't we know. have anything on Saturday? I'm sure we have something on Saturday. We have to have something on Saturday. Getting your anime groove back is the yes. only thing I see. Yes, getting your anime groove back. Which, if you listened to the previous episode of During Drive Angry, I explained what that is. So you should go listen to that episode. <laughs> and I think... That's it. Although Drew mentioned he's doing some other panel, which I'm sure is somewhere in this, possibly. Maybe they are doing the Gundam panel. I hope so, and it's not the guy who dressed up as Char and talked about himself in the first person like he was Char two years ago, who has been the butt of my every Gundam panel joke ever since. Uh, it was it was crappy. Real Gundam panel was in the hall, and we were just BSing. Uh, <laughs> it's true. And that's your awesome update. So, yeah. So. So. That's it. Now, of course, as in all awesome casts, you can always go to awesomecast.com, leave a comment in the comment section, or send us an email at awesomecast at gmail.com, or call us using the awesomecast voicemail. As we like to call it, the Awesome Line. What the number is? Damned if I know, but you can go to awesomecast.com and find out. It's there. And now, we'll be continuing our wonderful coverage of things that we're talking about with our the Moment of Awesome. It's a moment of awesome. Gosh, there are so many moments that we could talk about. I don't know which one. Okay, I'm... I think I'm starting too much to sound like a radio voice. Um, well, it is a podcast. We are voice-based. That's right. Where it's internet radio. It's 
I, Dabaramu, here on the radio. Anyways. Yes. Eh, let's talk about some Dragon Age 2. Dragon Age 2. Dragon Ager. Sort of Dragon Ager. I mean, it's more... It's about a... It's actually probably Dragon Age less. Yeah. To be fair... Well, the mechanics, I would say, are certainly not as deep. Um, not that I think it's a bad game. I've enjoyed it immensely. Uh... Next. I admit there are more, in fact, more dragons. There are more dragons. So perhaps in that respect, they succeeded. There, so it is dragon-er. Yes, you are up to your ass in dragons on a regular basis. But I don't think it's quite the age-er. Although it takes place over the course of ten years. Although what it really means, it takes place over the course of three acts. Three acts with a little bit of a uh, time gap in between. Which, it does create a... Uh, I need to not say us uh, so much. That's one of your first public speaking lessons, and I'm failing. But it does create a sense of more character togetherness, because it's almost just in the implication of all the cast having known each other for a long time. Some of the interactions come off as a little more honest, I think. It, it does, and it does. This game is a much better job of. Using the character interactions to also create the illusion of time passing. Yeah. Like they do all after, you know, you skip, you know, a year ahead. They talk about their adventures here and there, you know, that they've had them for a year. Then they'll do another time skip and they'll talk about the changes that have occurred. You know, one of the characters, actually their, their job changes over the course of the three acts. Yeah. I also like the uh, conversation system, which has now gone from your typical uh, positive response, negative response, neutral response, to positive response, negative response, funny response. <laughs> or at least the main character, Hawk, thinks they're funny. Well, yes. And sometimes they actually are. Yes. But uh, sometimes they're not. Also, I applaud it for, although I know some have condemned it, I am applauding it from expanding romanceable options that pretty much all romanceable characters are romanceable regardless of your gender, which is pretty awesome. Uh, it's, hey, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just want to play a gay two-handed sword wielding warrior. And this game lets you. This game also lets you go through the same house every time you ever go through a house, ever. Yeah. Okay, that's ever. a negative. That's a negative. You will see a lot ever. of the same maps. There's like one warehouse, one house, two caves. <laughs> no, there's one cave. You just see different parts of the same cave. Like sometimes they'll take you in from the back of the cave to the front of the cave. Or you'll go from the front of the cave to the back of the cave. But it's always the same goddamn cave. Really, I guess I should expand and say they want you to believe it's different caves. At least about half the time. But what they did was they made these really crazy, awesome, intricate level designs. With lots of extra nook and crannies that you can go into optionally. But then... They decide to, to create the illusion that there are different levels. They'll randomly open and close certain doors to give you the illusion that these are different places. Now, unfortunately, the trick is, A, everything in each, every area of this, of the cave is really iconic. And so it's really eye-catching, really neat to look at once. Yeah. Secondly, the mini-map never changes. Right. Have they managed to blank out the parts you weren't going into on the mini-map? It might have fooled us a little better. 
Not for long, but a little better. Mm-hmm. You know, it just really feels half-assed and, and lazy. Which, you know, I was actually reading an interview with one of the creators, and they're like, look, in order to get this game out on time, we had to cut somewhere, and we decided this is where we're going to cut. Now, that said, maybe this was the best decision we could have made, and especially making everything so good-looking, so iconic in certain areas, made it much, much more obvious what we did, so... Whoops, sorry guys, that was our bad. Also, your adventuring is pretty much limited to one city and its surrounding areas, which is not bad. You do kind of become something of a local hero, and people you go from being nobody to being well-known, maybe liked, maybe feared, depends on how you play. (laughs) The problem is, is that while I love the idea of a localized one talent that's your main hub, and you just go to the outlying regions... And solve like local problems. The idea of creating a small town, you know, or a small you know, area RPG is something I've been really looking forward to playing. However, you have to make that interesting. You have to make everything really dynamic and interesting, and really make a city that you go in. And this game did not do that. Well, it's a city, and you go through it. You go through the same areas of town all the time. Yeah, and there should have been more variety in the town itself. Yeah, it would have been nice had you, as the game gone on, found more areas that you had not maybe wandered into before, and like you might in a real town. Um, you know what game did a really good job about this? Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Because the entire game, you're in Rome, but Rome is huge, and different sections of Rome look different from other sections, and you know, it's all seamless, you're just going from place to place, it feels like you're really, really you know, canvassing that city just as a location and that was really really cool but this city does but this does a much better job of making you a presence in this city people know who you are the npcs you deal with on a regular basis they do a really good job of the time you know changing and doing the plots as they go over the they as they grow and evolve over the course of the 10 years even though the third act is kind of wonky, yeah, the second the ending of the second act is so so it's wonderful. We if we ever do an actual review of this thing, we'll we'll go into it deeper. Kind of like Tales of Vesperia in that respect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tales of Vesperia was really good for the first two thirds, and the last act was like, really, that's what you want to lead up to, really, because your sec is your you know the ending of the second you know second portion was much better ending than the third well I, there and there isn't well it doesn't mean they could, couldn't have done it better but it is open it is kind of an open-ended ending in a lot of ways that you know you expect a sequel well yeah and we're Which, pretty much guaranteed one but that's uh, well it's a bioware game we're expecting you know at least three at least a trilogy although i think dragon age specifically is a game i think they could Dragon Age might have some room to expand into quite a number of games. If nothing else, it is the spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate, except now they don't have to deal with the D&D license. Yeah, which is sad, because I feel we we lost a little bit of the D&D-ness of, True. of Dragon Age. Like, Because in the first Dragon Age, I really felt like I was playing D&D just as a video game. You know, more so than even the, their D&D games, except for maybe Baldur's Gate 2. And this one, but, you know, Dragon Age really, really did it up right. And even playing through Awakenings now, it's 
for some reason, I did not play Awakening until after I played Dragon Age 2, a figure. But it really does keep the feeling of I am, I'm playing D&D. If D&D was a video game, it was called Dragon Age. Dragon Age 2 feels much more like just an RPG. A good RPG, but it doesn't quite have that same genesis qua that Dragon Age 1 had. But it's still a fun game. I still enjoy it. Still definitely recommend people playing it. It just... I had qualms. Would buy another Dragon Age game. Would play again. Oh, oh yeah. Like, when <laughs> Dragon Age whatever comes out, uh, it's mine. And once, as soon as I release some DLC, especially if they make a brand new level for it, oh my god. I will buy that so fast, <laughs> so hard. By the way, the Mass Effect DLC that just came out, Arrival, pretty decent. I enjoyed it. I don't know how you're going to not play, you know, Mass Effect 3 without playing this DLC. So I have a feeling this is what's going to set up Mass Effect 3 in the first place. But go figure. You should probably, so you should probably go play that DLC if you want to play Mass Effect. Yeah. I haven't yet, but I will. As soon as I feel like playing it, I'll buy it. <laughs> it's only seven bucks. It's a good couple hours of fun. You could spend worse. Yeah. I think I've finally gotten over downloading every bit of downloadable content for every game I own. If there's not even a good chance I'm going to play it anytime soon. <laughs> so there you go. And so now that we talked about a $7 downloadable game, if you add that up to the cost of Dragon Age of 67 bucks, then add in another 100 bucks, you can afford the DVD to the thing we're about to talk about. Yep. Didn't realize it until after we watched it to review. Whoops. Oh, well. We're talking about um, Urese Yatsura Movie 2. Beautiful Dreamer. Okay, so what we're about to review is the second movie in a series of movies based on a serialized long-running TV show that was based on a serialized long-running manga. This perhaps was not the best way to introduce people to Uruse Yatsura. Well... I'm guessing. Yes... It makes no damn sense if it's the first bit of Urusayatsura you ever see, as I can attest to. <laughs> so, yeah, we're just going to we're going to give you a brief overview of what Urusayatsura is, but realize that you probably should already know what this is. In fact, we'll try to do a non-spoiler section, 
the fact is, if you're listening to this and you're interested in it, chances are you have either A, already know what we're talking about, and have already seen at least some of the TV show or read some of the manga, or possibly even be already seen the movie and you're just listening, looking for two guys talking about the movie in the first place. We're like retro and cool. Yeah. This movie came out in 1984. I was four years old. Yeah, I don't recall when it was released in the U.S., but... Uh... 1996, I think, yeah. was the VHS release. I wasn't that old then. <laughs> I was 16. I'm 31 now. Yeah, I've been, been like 17. Old. I would have been like I'm 17 old. at the time. We're old. That's okay. And I don't care. I'm still kicking fuck y'all. But pretty much, Kevin, what is Urusei Yatsura? It is a series. By... Ah, by famed mangaka, Miko Takahashi. What's it about? Well, in a nutshell, it's about Onis, who are actually aliens, coming to invade Earth, who give Earth a chance at not being invaded if a randomly chosen person can catch their princess in a game of tag. And that's just kind of set up for the series, but... Uh, and the hero is... Ataru Moroboshi, the most lecherous man on the planet, possibly any planet, um, who is a bit of a lovable asshole, who, uh, maybe emphasis on asshole, but, uh, who does, uh, get picked to try to catch Lum, the alien princess, and after many wily e. Coyote-esque attempts, he does eventually catch her by stealing her top. It, uh, unfortunately... Due to one of his childhood friends saying she would marry him if he succeeded and him screaming, now I can be married, Lum takes it as a proposal and decides to stay around forever. And ever. And ever. And she's the jealous type. And she can shoot lightning. So perhaps if you've seen the whole thing where the guy does something lecherous and the girl hurts him... I don't know if you've ever seen anything like that in anime ever. Nah, but... that scene sounds pretty uncommon. I, I've not seen that much in anime. At least Ataru deserves it. Usually. 99.9% .9 of the time. He definitely deserves it more than Ranma, as in another Takahashi series. Not to say Ranma doesn't often deserve it. And pretty much you can gather that this goes into a madcap series of hilarious episodes and manga volumes yes. of stupid, crazy shit happening. Like most, most long-running Rumiko Takahashi series, there are loads and loads of characters consisting of residents of the town, classmates, family, friends, aliens, friends of alien friends, and, you know, it's, it goes on and on. And lots of weird little background walk-ons by all manner of pop culture icons that are just happen and then are ignored. <laughs> and safe to say that this movie is no different. But the trick is, is that the first couple of years of this anime run, as well as the first two movies, which includes this movie, was directed by this nobody who no one gives a shit director, Mamoru Oshii. Wait. Do kids actually still know who he is? Are we being too obtuse and too sarcastic? <laughs> I, I assume so. Oh, no. I assume the people still know who he is. Okay. I, I assume the people still at least know what Ghost in the Shell is. Yeah. Long, slow, talking head movies with basset hounds that are actually really good. Sound familiar? 
I don't. The first movie of Ghost of Shell had a decent amount of action. It actually does, to be fair. He, like now, the second movie, which you know is probably which is more recent, yeah. you know that totally is two guys you know driving down the road, Talking. quoting philosophy at, at each to other. To be fair, I really came in on Pat the Pat Labor movie with Mamoru. Well, actually, Beautiful Dreamer, but his first. Thing that was mostly him was the Pat La- first Pat Labor movie, and that is a lot of talking. Although there's some cool action space throughout. And in case you haven't quite grasped the concept yet, Oshi is one more, I would sort of say, a more of an intellectual kind of guy. Yes. He likes thinking about things, he likes talking about thinking about things. And you don't really see that in anime much, especially yeah. nowadays. And he's yet, he's directing something that is at its core a madcap comedic romp. And he's very too pretty well. He's very good at it. And this is the first movie that he really got a chance to strut his stuff as a director. Yes. He wasn't just, you know, it was a sort of his own idea that he sort of, you know, adapted into, um, or to say, sort of, okay, apparently this is also what, you know, sort of killed his relationship with Takahashi. It's why he left. He's no longer director of the series. <laughs> That's sort of a it's, shame. She's like, what are you doing to my stuff? What? Because what? actually, I think it's really... This is actually probably my favorite Urusayatsura movie. It, um, it is for most, at least if I can trust the internet. And why couldn't you trust the internet? I have heard that it's been better received by American fans than Japanese fans, but I can't really confirm the truth of that. And really, this might actually be my favorite Oshi film, which is... A, kind of funny considering it's this first real you know yeah um oshi film as oshi goes yeah i'm think realizing it's incredibly hard to talk about this movie without spoiling the hell out of it um no no it really is true but hate to say this is when oshi was like all right guys it's time for oshi style bitches and went with it yeah and he really does where he does do a lot of intellectual thinking in this film but it is, you know, block-ended by just crazy madcap action. And the fact is, while he does all this intellectual thinking, the correct of it is the main character then goes, who the fuck cares? <laughs> yeah. That is... Uh... And, and it really sort of prefaces going, where he is, he's, throw, he's throwing random deep thought after deep thought. In case you haven't figured it out, it's about dreaming. Yeah, so it there's is about a, dreaming. So there's a lot of, is this real is this reality or is it a dream does yeah, it really fact, matter the antagonist of the film does have a rather long monologue on the subject which the main character's response is do you think i ever think about anything <laughs> it, you know and it and this is not this is nothing new when you see movies about dreams these are usual themes that pop up you know dreams and reality you see it in inception you see it in paprika You've seen it in other stuff, I'm sure, that I'm blanking on. And that's right. You know, I mean, hell, I mean, Blade Runner, I think, you know, Blade Runner pops up with that idea before, you know, it's the idea of dreams is sort of, you know, that's just sort of the, are common themes that show up when you're trying yeah, to think about dreams. The original Persona game, in fact, quotes the same poem that Beautiful Dreamer does about the man who dreamed he was a butterfly and then couldn't tell if he was really the butterfly or the man. But And it also deals with a, you know, traditional Japanese legend about Urashima Taro. Yeah, I 
initially thought that anyone who's remotely paid attention to anime will probably have heard of this one before, but I may be wrong, because Basil went to look this up, so... <laughs> it's true, and when you watch the DVD, you know, Animigo, who did the original translation, you know, akin to Rip Van Winkle, which is a pretty decent, very quick and dirty way of going, this is what this is. Oh, okay, I have that idea, but Kevin, if you'll give us the well, short version, please. It boils down to uh, there's a, a fisherman who saves a turtle, and the turtle, in gratitude, takes him down to the dragon palace beneath the ocean, wherein he has fun and meets a Otohime, a princess who is maybe also a dragon. It's a little fuzzy. Uh, and they fall, they have, they fall in love, they have fun, it's great, but he gets lonely for his old town, and he feels like he needs to go back and visit, and he does, and she doesn't want him to go, but she gives him this box and tells him to never open it, we always know how that works out, but he gets back and he finds that a hunt, like, well, I don't even know what, if there's an official number, but, like, I'm gonna go with hundreds of years have passed, and no one remembers him. And uh, it kind of ends with him opening the box, which held his youth, and he dies. Uh, but, yeah, good fun. A wonderful, happy ending to let you know that if you, you get given a box or told not to open it, then don't open it. I would argue the moral of the story is if you find a hot dragon princess, um, stay the hell in the palace under the ocean. <laughs> that that could also be a good, you know, good thing to do. Uh I'm not sure. I mean, then again, I can't someone say I've bother someone... met a hot dragon chick, but... Yeah. Then again, someone could have bothered to tell him, dude, it's been hundreds of years, didn't you notice? <laughs> but if they don't know him, they don't quite realize that's his circumstance. Yes, perhaps when you're cosmic beings, you don't notice a hundred years. It could be, <laughs> you know. Or maybe she was like, oh, you really don't want... You don't want to go, but... Right, my don't, don't box, don't Why am I so it. shy in Japanese? Have fun. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. Who knows? Who might? God, thank God that asshole's gone. He thought he saves me once from being hit by kids of sticks, and he thinks now he's my husband. What a bitch! <laughs> what a dick! Yeah. God, I mean, what would mythology be like if the supernatural beings got to tell their own story? But <laughs> if only Jim Henson were still around. Indeed. <laughs> but he's not. But this movie is. But this does kind of form a core of some of the thematic imagery of the film. So, uh, there are turtles. <laughs> and it's you, very much a dream. Now, I've heard a lot of people compare this movie to Inception. And after seeing both those movies, I really don't think it quite jives. I mean, you could compare them. And in fact, they're both movies that deal with dreams. But they deal with dreams in completely different ways. Inception is about setting up the rules of engagement and dealing with dreams. Whereas this one, you know, it's, they don't realize they're in a dream till you know, near the, you know, two-thirds of the movie has passed. Right. So in fact, I th well, we repeat a day at least once in the story. But... And in fact, yeah, like there's a lot of day it feels like you're first they're doing the whole classic you're repeating the same day over and over you know groundhog day groundhog day or even um suzumiya's endless eight thing fortunately Wait. they do they takes less than eight times for us to work it out 
Yeah, I, I really do think that this possibly, you know, this movie was an inspiration for them to do that story arc. Which I'm sure in the novels was fine because it was just a novel and it wasn't eight episodes in the anime. But that's ne- neither here nor there yes. or even over there. Yes. Yeah. But you think it's a time that time loop thing, and then it, then you realize that weird shit starts occurring. Now, admittedly, this is a show where weird shit happens on a regular basis, but it's weird even for them. Okay, you know, this is a movie that starts off with you know during a school festival, and their cafe theme is the Third Reich, which includes a a you know leopard tank. And that's the most normal thing in this entire movie. Yes. Is that they have a giant tank in the classroom that's about being Nazis. Well, the initial setup is that they're getting ready for a school festival. And it's always the day before the festival. (laughs) And they occur and guess what? They're in a dream and they have to figure out how to maneuver out of the dream. And once they realize it's a dream, things start getting weirder. But that's... Uh, or at least when they wear something's wrong. The, or at least the sequentiality of their reality starts breaking down and other, uh, more non-sequitur events start occurring. And like we said, I'm not even bothered going to preface the spoilers as, you, as it's not obvious. We're already into spoilers. Yeah, we are. You realize that, that everything is you know being conducted by one specific dreamer. And this is where I really think that the creative heart, he's Mia must have taken a lot of inspiration just overall from this film because a lot of the core concepts on how Harumi Suzumiya works, you can really see the roots of in this film. Yeah, it does because, well, okay, is it a huge spoiler? We're in spoilers. It's totally lum. The whole world is based around what she would like, (laughs) although she is not the one responsible for the situation, at least not directly. (laughs) Like, no, and, you know, and, and the world is conforming to her wishes. Now, okay, a girl that ha- wore the world conforms to her wishes. And, you know, if something wants to dramatically change because she thinks it'd be cooler that way, wh- who does that remind you of? I-, I don't know. Could it be uh, Yoko from Gurren Lagann? Quest Pariah from Char's Counterattack. Could it be Nami from One Piece? Could it be Blackjack from Blackjack? Ooh, 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 Blackjack. It's Blackjack, right? It's It's Black... No, no, it's Haruhi. Yeah, Haruhi. But, you know, I mean, especially with the whole sort of quasi-almost-harem-y stuff going on. Yeah. I really do think the guy, you know, watched this film. I think, you know, again... Yeah, Lum... Lum almost has a... Ursa Atsura almost has a reverse harem because there's way more guys who are really into Lum, even though she just has eyes for Ataru. And while Ataru tries to get with everything with boobs, even when the boobs are well hidden, uh, he fails epically constantly. <laughs> but, you know, the real... Tr- but the trick is, as you... You know, and there's always a thing where it's like he's always trying to get away from Lum, even though she's totally hot. And this, real, this film sort of covers it in a really neat and interesting way yes and, and how he how it's explained on on why exactly because he the dude you know the person who actually you know is causing these things to happen who has you know made this you know made love's dreams reality as it were so why do you want her around again 
And he points out, yeah, I love all women. Lum's a woman. I gotta get away from her so I can get other women or else she zaps me. I think it's more like, I love Lum. I just like all the other women too. Well, yeah, but no, but it's, it's, I think for him it's the chase. Yeah. Like he wants to get away from, you know, if he could fondle other women and love at the same time, he would. But she zaps him. He, yeah. Uh, but he doesn't like getting zapped. I sometimes get the impression he maybe even enjoys the chase just a little bit. He he likes being chased by Lum. <laughs> but you know, and I I actually do think that's uh, that's true. And but you know, but he always wants to make sure Lum is there so that he can get run away from her. And in fact, like she has to be around. That's actually where the whole where he actually turns everything on the bad dude. Not even bad dude, but the dude who created the stuff, the antagonist. Be honest, he was fairly well intentioned in a twisted way. <laughs> who's this crazy dream wizard dude who you know Jockey. Who wants to get rid of Ataru and become Ataru in Lump's dream. Anyways. So that it won't be fucked up because Ataru will ruin it because he's Ataru. It's what he does. He ruins your stuff. <laughs> Although, I think Ataru, and you actually can argue that maybe with Rika Takashi's feelings, you might even argue that the characterization of the characters might be a little out of canon. But, even Ataru and Lum do manage to have, to have a really sweet moment near the end of the film. That, while it is interrupted by the rest of the cast, it does it actually gave me a feeling that when other people aren't around, maybe they're a lot more sweet and cuddlier with each other when other people aren't watching. <laughs> Which would probably make her even more jealous when he's actually out in the field. Yes. Playing the field. Yes. It's like, I almost got the sense, there there was just, there's a moment that's just so natural between them that's like, it doesn't seem like this was a, tenet, a hesitant first fumbling moment. It seemed like this happens when no one else is watching all the time. And that would piss me off if then the person I was in love with went running off after random people. <laughs> Ignoring me, running away, making me zap him with lightning. Not that I have any uh, <laughs> baggage in that area. But uh, <laughs> but we could always get you a tiger stripe bikini. That'd be awesome. Wait, that no. That you could wear, no, to an- wear, you wear to anime cons. I'm not cosplaying Lum. I might cosplay Ray, that is to say the Ray and Ursa Atsura, who is not in this movie. <laughs> who is basically a guy Oni in a tiger stripe jumpsuit, but whatever. <laughs> but something we haven't really covered about this film is just how dreamlike the film can really be. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm watching and I'm thinking I've had dreams like this. Like? I have had the, uh, I've almost had, ah. What was the scene I was thinking of? Uh, well, the repetition things, definitely. But uh, just things being off. A uh, thing like running down hallways and never getting any closer to anything. Or, uh... Of course, you know, even though you know, love can fly, there is a lot of flying stuff and a lot of yeah. falling. Which is pretty yeah, common, common dream you know, in, in dream elements. Uh, and many times he'll just, you know, make things a little more, you know... He'll just throw weird things in, like the background. Things will that makes float you by. Don't you don't quite grasp? You know, I noticed that you know what they do to create the illusions of cars in this weird dream world is there. You're always seeing the, the quick flashing lights of yeah. cars and not actual cars, but you still you know, you still make the connection to it because you know what the, what it's referring to. 
And, you know, I see that stuff happens, I think, in my, at least in my dreams, a lot where, you know, I won't see something in super high detail that's actually going on, but there's just enough of an imagery there that I can make that connection, and then I fill in the blanks for myself. Yes. That's like actual dreams. I'm having trouble remembering what... I should have made notes as to the ones I saw, but now I'm blanking. And much like, you know, dreams, you make notes of dreams after you've had them, you'll remember them easier for the next time you need to remember them. So when you're on the podcast talking about them, you'll yeah. actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. Yes, that, that would have been smart, wouldn't it? But Just saying. Yes. But no, it's a really really good film and it in realize that I am not the most heavily versed or to say that sort of guy on the block. I know the basic premise of the show and I've seen a couple yeah. of episodes, but I haven't really watched it or read it in depth. But I totally got well yeah the movie. You know, I'd remember, you know I guess you have to just go, okay, Lum flies, shoots lightning and is apparently this guy is really into this guy and we don't know what's up with him. There's a, and then there's a bunch of other characters who are all weirdos, but they're kind of lovable, even if you don't really know anything about their backstory. <laughs> to be fair, some of them don't have much of a backstory. But uh... <laughs> And man, this thing, you know, I, I keep forgetting that people used to animate movies like this. True. Like, the animation is just gorgeous. Yeah, we're talking old school, hand-drawn uh... Too deep. <laughs> like, you know, there where you get to see crazy, you know, fast-paced movement. You know, crazy camera angles that would never be able to be done in real life. Well, But yes. they're pulling off here. We do have the advantage of it's being directed by Momoro Oshi, who loves doing that stuff anyways. And it's a Rinko Takahashi series, which is known for its oddness. In general, I do really wish that they had given us an actual widescreen version of the movie and not the crazy yeah. cropped crap that we got instead. But it's the only DVD release we, we've gotten in America. Yes, so. there is a widescreen version that exists. It just it's in Japan. Uh, like, I, I would love to see like right stuff, you know, reacquire this license. Even if we don't get anything else, just this movie or even Animigo reacquire this one license because. So, like, Central Park Media's got it anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, this is a, that's an oddity. It was put out by Central Park Media, whereas everything else was put out by Animego. Although, um, they used Animego to translate it. Well, I, I think Animego might have put out the, DV, the, the VHS. I'm a little confused about that. Let's, no, uh, the VHS was Central Park Media also, because I own that one. Uh... Well, then there you go. But Animigo did the, wor the work on They did the translation. It. I think it came out before anything else Urusai Atsura in the U.S., which is kind of interesting that they thought... They thought, apparently, people would jump in on this one. Uh, they even showed this movie on sci-fi, and that's weird, because that's how I saw it the first yes. time. Was I was like, oh, snap, this looks like Takahashi stuff. And it is. And, and uh, Well, I didn't realize it at yes. first. I'm like, well, this is trippy stuff. Of course, I was, you know, like 16 at the time. I didn't realize what I was doing. Right. It, it was... And, you know, it, it has really good animation. And even um, even the Rusty Atsura TV series would awesome would film an awesome, cool animated action sequence once in a while just to prove they could. But, like I was saying in the beginning, I swear we didn't really go into a lot... Well, some depth. But, yeah, this really does show, like, you know, Oshi's uh, penchant for intellectualism... But still, is I think it's so grounded in just the goofy humor. Yes, I do like that it's the musing 
there is much Mamoru Oshii style introspective musing by the cast, but it's totally in character with these weird people. Like, uh, well, mostly from Ataru's kind of four weird idiot friends, like especially Megane, who has glasses, that's why he's named Megane, um, has some interesting soliloquies that are a little bit uh, nonsensical even, but uh, they make, well, they'd be weird coming from anyone else, but they make sense from him. <laughs> and there's and they're introspective, but they're really introspective in a goofy way. Yes, it just. Whereas I would say like Sakura, who is a school nurse and Shinto priestess, and Onsen Mark, who is uh, a teacher at the school, they have more traditional Oshi style back and forth talking with them about the nature of that they may be in a dream world, and what is going on with them and what they might do about it. It really does strike me. I think I like Oshi adapting stuff more than when he usually gets to be able to do whatever he wants. Which I, I think he's like one of many directors who needs a little bit of grounding yeah. in order for him to really shine. You know, you can't just, if you just let him fly off the handle, well, you'll get stuff and it still needs stuff. I still enjoy his stuff. But I think when you, you know, when you ha have guys sort of watching him going, nap, 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 to yeah. Oshi, Oshi. Nope. True. Uh, I think the Pat Labor series is an interesting example because you can look at the TV series and you can look at the movies and Mamoru Oshii was involved with both, but he was more involved in the movies and the movies have more of that serious intellectual discussion and the TV show is more about cops with giant robots being kind of silly and occasionally solving crimes. But yeah, it's it's a real shame that even though we there is a DVD release out there, it, it unfortunately is like Crusher Joe expensive. Yeah, what was it like one hundred and fifty bucks on Amazon for a new copy? A new but copy. still, like you know, like a hundred bucks, even if you want to buy it used. Yeah, well, on the plus side, bucks. you know, you can uh, get a VHS tape for about eight sixty two. Uh, like yeah, like you can get a VHS <laughs> for damn cheap if you know. You have a VHS player. And I know I don't anymore. And who uh, knows if that version is dubbed or subtitled. Oh, good point. You may want to double check that if you... Uh, I don't know if it was released... Well, there might. There probably was a dub. Central Park Media pretty much dub-subbed everything. So, eh, don't know. It's definitely worth acquiring yes, it. You, you... However you may do so. Yes, certainly in a legal, honest fashion. But it's horrid. Um, that should not be uh, anything illicit or unfounded or likely to get you sued or legal problems. Don't do that. But it definitely Don't do was that right now. An enjoyable movie. I'm sure you hear that a lot from us, but it but it is. You know, there's a reason why we are, in fact, called the Awesome Cast and not yes. the uh, dumb, stupid, you know, lame for crap cast well we do occasionally do awesome crap which is kind but of this top <laughs> but this podcast is not labeled awesome crap no it is labeled awesome cast no i would therefore say, talk about things that we like i would say beautiful dreamer is one of those anime that i would try to get pretty much anyone i know who likes anime i'm going to at some point try to get them to watch this which to an extent we're reaching out to you our listeners who maybe i haven't gotten to also ixer one but right now we're talking about Beautiful Dreamer. I, I would say, you know, optimally, you track down at least a couple episodes of the TV show. And so it gives you sort of a basis. Yes. 
on how the whole thing works. I think that would be really good. And then watch the film. But like I said, I mean, well, I do feel you need a background information of what Urtse Yatsura is. Once you understand who the characters are and what roles they play, you can watch the movie um, and enjoy it pretty well as long as you're willing to keep your thinking thing kept on, like most of Oshi's stuff. Yes. It's good stuff. It's very good stuff. And so that is our very, well, not really very, I mean, it's we, we, sometimes we usually do 30-minute reviews, which yeah, is roughly about what this is. And review. so, until next week, or week after that, I guess, we're out. Sweet oh. dreams. Oh, oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Sweet dreams. I think that. Good job, guys. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome date. April. Fuck. Ah. <sighs>